Hello, welcome to Stages. I'm Peter Ayers. Today we catch up with an old friend who I've wanted to feature on the podcast since day one. Ladies and gentlemen, today my guest is Broadway and West End star Hayden T. Hayden T is the boy from New Zealand who developed a career in Australia and then went on to conquer the world with star turns and musicals as diverse as Les Miserables and Matilda. Curiously, he gave us seductive and thrilling villains in both of those shows, Inspector Javert and Miss Trunchbull. His work has taken him around the world and recently he returned to Auckland to share his acclaimed performance as Javert with his homeland. Hayden has carved out an impressive list of credits in musical theatre, theatre, cabaret and also makeup design. An accomplished makeup artist, you may have caught one of his many makeup tutorials online. He's a master of transformation and aesthetic seduction, employing theatrical and cosmetic makeup to contribute to illusion magnificently. Hayden's Australian theatre credits include magnetic performances in Only Heaven Knows, Titanic the Musical, South Pacific, Little Women the Musical, The Wizard of Oz and Dead Man Walking. His extensive international work has included Being Earnest, 1776, My Fair Lady, Into the Woods and Kiss Me Kate. His mastery of the form is vast and incisive. He's recently released an exciting new recording that he has produced himself. The album is called Hayden T Face to Face. It features a full orchestra backing with Hayden delivering musical theatre favourites and also capturing a few of the dynamic performances he has given in a stellar career. If it gets too cold... No, it will not get too cold. Okay, yes, I like it cold too. Yeah, yeah, I have it on 16. When it's not hot. Yeah. Um, So I sleep with a fan on too, especially Mm -hmm. during these... I love the sound of that. It's like, you know, I'm never turning me into my womb or something. That white noise. Yeah. That and falling asleep to fishing videos. Fishing where... They fish with eggs, Mentos, and Coke. I don't know why. I find it incredibly satisfying. It puts me to sleep. Where, where do you find a video? On YouTube. They... So you just basically... I don't know how I even... It got obviously suggested to me because I watch all sorts of crazy, like, you know, things. And it was like... Um, they basically would go up to, like, a catfish hole and they'll they'll crack an egg, put it in there, put some... Um, like, we'll just get around, which basically I think attracts them. And then they shove some Mentos and some Coke down there and it just shoves them all out and they literally get like 20 catfish out of a hole it's I, <laughs> it sounds very sexual but it's not so so it's the visuals or the oral that, that um, put you to sleep I have no idea I'm not I don't think about that much I just by the end of one of the, a couple of those I'm, I'm asleep right so it's on YouTube yeah yeah give it a go I must have a go Mentos, Coke, Egg, Fishing there you go <laughs> Oh, God. God. It's going to be great, isn't it? It's going to be fabulous. <laughs> fabulous conversation. Lovely to see you again. Thank you, darling. You can have um, me. Lovely to see you. You're in town for a concert at the Eternity. I mean, I don't know why we're talking about this, because this is not going to go on until the week before Christmas, after your concert. Well, it, it went that's okay. wonderfully. It, it, was it, was, it was a triumph. I, went, I loved it. You had great repertoire. <laughs> and the audience loved it. They didn't, they? I was really, really, were very sweet and very encouraging. Oh, hilarious. But, but chiefly to promote your new album, Face to Face. Yes, yeah? it is. Yeah, yeah. That just came out uh, well the day after we opened Les Mis in Auckland. So it's that like about five weeks ago now, I think. Yeah. yeah. It's a phenomenal recording. Oh, bless you. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. You produced it yourself. Completely. Yeah. If I did yeah. it all myself, um, you know, I could have a house somewhere, but instead I have an album. Right. So that much? <laughs> yeah, 50,000 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I suppose, because you've got a big orchestra, haven't you? 63 so, pieces. Yeah, yeah, so it's rehearsing. Probably tacky to talk about the money, but it's like, I mean, you know, whatever. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, um, that's how much it's it costs a, it's a to fact do that. of life. Yeah. There you go. If and anyone think, is out there thinking I want to do an album, they now know. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you can do it properly. Well, yeah. I, I, I mean, mean, I've done it's my third one, and I kind of wanted to make this a bit different. I just wanted to, Nigel and I both wanted to go epic. This is Nigel O'Brien. Nigel O'Brien, yeah, yeah, my long-time yeah. collaborator, an MD and arranger. I mean, you know, genius that he is. So what drove you to the album? Is it just a vanity project? Or, well, I guess in or some there's ways. Or there's an audience out there looking for more of Hayden T? A little bit. Look, the thing with albums, I think, is, I mean, I'm a gay man. I don't, the chance of me having children are very slim. So in some way, it's a vanity project from the point of legacy. Yeah, but really, right. because we're in theatre, like, if, if someone's not in the room at that very point in time, it's, it's gone. And that's one of the things I love about it. But it also means that there's nothing, to, there's nothing that lives on beyond me because it's just in that moment, you know what I mean? So I think, um, yeah, I want to put something out there while I can still sing those songs and... Well, there's a few of the roles that you have performed in your career. Yeah, there are a couple in there, yeah. Which you've preserved nicely, which is great. Thank you. There may be some roles that you'd like to do. No, I don't think so. No, no well, so I mean... How, how did you select the repertoire? Because we kind of had, we had a big list, about I think it was about 30 or 40 songs that we thought about initially. And then um, 
and then we kind of look for a theme through all of them. And I mean, the, the theme for my career, I've been typecast really, is villains. I don't like to call them villains, I call them antagonists. But I realised that most of the songs were sung by antagonists and or villains. Gonna, uh, oh, and or rebels, sorry. I'm going to have to change my introduction because I refer to the, <laughs> the villains that you've played. Oh, that's all right. Villains are the best roles. Well, I mean, well, they are, yeah. I, yeah. I love it, yeah. And I'm very bubbly as a person, so it's nice to escape escape Happy Hayden and, you know, go somewhere dark every now and again. Get, yeah. get you know, get that out. Um, but yeah, and then so once we did that and dropped away all the other songs that that didn't fit into that, then we had a slightly shorter list, and then we wanted to tick off, you know, the main composers, you know, Bubba Schomburg, Lloyd Webber, um, Adam Gittell, you know, Tim Minchin, things like that, and we ended up with our nine. Right. There's one track that didn't end up on there that we still have out there that we might release one day. Yeah. It was a, you know, a little Lloyd Webber music of the night, but I was just like, no, I'm like my phantom days are gone. Yeah. Yeah. You never know. Oh, you look, I think know. I do, but you know, <laughs> you know, I think I jinxed myself with that one. I told everyone always asks my favorite, you know, my dream role. I always said Phantom, and I think I jinxed myself, and also, I don't know, I put myself off it over time now. I'm, is that only because there's about seven minutes of work, and the rest of the time well, you can play with makeup? Well, serious. Well, that, that is why I'm <laughs> part, it is part of the deal. No, it's actually because half my face would be covered with a mask, and I wouldn't be able to show my makeup off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yes, we talked about the concert went really, really well. Um, do you get nervous? Yes. I mean, you're back in town again for the first time since that that stranger of Lemmy's, I guess. Yeah, it is. Well, it only even knows I did quickly in seventeen. Oh yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. but it is. It, I do get nervous still. In fact, it's getting worse as I get older. Huh. I don't know about you, but it's like, um, and I don't quite know the reason why. I uh, the stakes may be a bit higher, the pressure may be a bit more, and also just the fearlessness of youth. You know, when you're young, it doesn't no, really. You what do what anything, you got to lose? Yeah. And now I've got more to lose, so I freak out a bit. Um, I, I've, I've been talking to lots of friends, and they all seem to say the same thing: that as we get older, it gets a little bit. You know, well, anxiety's become a thing now. Expectation to deliver, I guess, because you now come with a fair degree of uh, roles and experience and CV. Oh gosh, don't and, tell me that. The stomach's churning as you say it. Or, or, or your stomach churned <laughs> on the night. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, look, we've been uh, meaning to do this conversation for a couple of years now since, since I first started, but um, you've never been, well, we've never been in the same country uh, except for about two years ago when I hadn't started it, but uh, we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> oh, that was a great night in New York, bless you. We had a hoot going out in the town after it was great. after shows, yeah. Um, and how exciting, I mean, I first met you in, it must have been 1998 or 99, when we were poppies. When we was, it was, yeah, I think it was, it must be after 99, because I was at NIDA, I graduated there in 99, so I think it was 2000, 2000 maybe, yeah. Right, okay. Um, it was, we had poppies, remember the poppy pageant, we were in the Wizard of Oz, and we were in Lycra, with a hairdress, I mean, it was really, you know. Full, oh, full body suit, Lycra. Yeah, yeah. What are um, they called? Un- not unitards. Unitards. Yeah, unitards. Yeah. <laughs> yes, unitard. <laughs> and, um, and, and munchkins on our knees behind a wall. Yeah, that was it. Yes. I was always envied the ladies at Munchkins because they sat on wheelie chairs with these big hoop dresses. I mean, what part of that <laughs> do you, you not want to do? do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so cut to New York some... some oh. Almost two decades later, and yes. to wait for you at the stage door of Les Mis on Broadway was so exciting. Oh, bless you. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Did you ever think that was going to happen, that that was in your orbit? Obviously, performers have have great ambitions when they start out, but um, was that going to happen to that little boy from New Zealand? I honestly, I mean, when we were doing Wizard of Oz, I, I didn't even, that was my first professional job in Australia. I just wanted to be able to pay rent doing what I loved. And to be honest, still, you know, I mean, obviously I, I've all, I have very big with affirmations and I have dreams. And as things went on, I was like, I want Broadway. I want that to happen. I want that to, to make that a reality. But even more so now, now that that's done, I really, the thing that's important to me now is just doing good work and in good productions and just being able to do what I love for a living. doesn't matter where it is. Well, it's a pretty nomadic lifestyle that you have. I mean, you've just come back from New Zealand and you've had a career in London and, and in America. Do you own more than a toothbrush? <laughs> you know what? Everything I own at the moment, well, until very recently, um, <clears throat> fits into two suitcases, a travel-on and a makeup case, which is a lot. I have little storage boxes in each city. But you know what? I don't do all the travelling. It's not like the... It wasn't like, I want to conquer the world or anything like that. It's literally just, I want to do what I 
what makes me happy. And if I open up four markets to myself, then there's four more chances of getting work. And so far that seems to have worked. But that's really is the only reason why. I mean, I'd love to settle down. I'd love to nest. I just um, bought a couple of acres in New Zealand in the middle of nowhere, up north, and I put a tiny house because I didn't want a mortgage. I'm an actor, you know, and I'm, I don't, I don't, you know, necessarily know what's coming year to year. So um, I just like bought a little tiny house out, which is 21 square meters, which everyone on my friends and family in New Zealand are like, how are you going to survive in that? And I'm like, that's the size of my apartment in New York, yeah. 21 square meters. Except now I have two acres of native New Zealand forest about to be. I mean, right now it's just felled pine trees, but, but you know, so that's, I, I mean, that, that's, that's the dream to kind of run away there, but then to also travel to work when I need to and want to. So where are you calling home at the moment? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, no idea. No, I mean, I'm putting down my my sister's address, to be honest, on forms at the airports and things. But that's just because I know she's going to be there for a while. But no, I, I mean, any place I hang my hat is home to quote a song lyric. Excellent. Why not? Why not? I don't care much. Go or stay. I don't care very much. Grow hard on a windy street. Lips grow cold with the rent to meet. So if you kiss me. So where did you grow up? I know New Zealand, but mm-hmm. um, I've got a place name in front of me, but for the oh, life yeah. of me, I can't pronounce it. Mangatoroto. Right, okay. Mangatoroto. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It's in northern of New Zealand. It's got a population of 800 people, or I think I checked recently because someone queried me about it. It's 837 now, so they've grown into 37 more people since I grew up there 20 years ago. Um, it's it's a mostly uh, farming community. There is a, obviously a village, a town there, but it's... um. Lots of it's a dairy factory is the main thing. So if a lot of the people in the town work in or around the dairy industry. Did you have any holiday jobs growing up in the oh, dairy industry? Did you not milk cows industry. or anything? I, I definitely have milked cows with friends before, but never for work. Always like I go and stay with friends on the weekend, and that's just what they do every in the, in the mornings. They go out and help their family. You know, my family had a bus company, so my job would be cleaning the buses in the bus yard on the weekends. Or um, and my mum still delivers the mail, so it would be delivering helping her with the mail or delivering um, uh, papers, you know, a paper route like most. Yep, yep. Yeah, the, it's pretty um, cliche almost, a paper route. Our town. <laughs> yeah. um, and siblings, you, you've got one sister? I have it? one sister, right. um, yes. I went. I was about to say her age and she would um, would would slap me when she sees me next in a couple of weeks. Um, she's my favourite human being on the planet. She's my best friend. She's amazing. Um, she has just been, she's an ICU nurse. Um, she is just her dream is to be a flight nurse the whole time so she's been working towards that and she literally in the last couple of weeks she like two days ago she had her first flight simulation training and and going on the helicopter for the first time that's going to be starting very soon for her i'm so proud of her she keeps me so grounded i call her and i she lets me ramble on i freak out about something like oh my god audition and what am i going to do and rara she'll get me for 45 minutes supporting me and putting me what's the worst thing that can happen hayden and i'll be like well i forget the words anyway oh so what's happening with you hun and she'll be like well i lost a baby at work today and i'm like wow i'm i'm an absolute prick and you're doing something that matters and i literally pretend to be someone else for a living and the worst thing that can happen in my job is that i forget the words and that's really gives me perspective and I have a little brother as well. He's 18. So I'd, he was born after I'd left New Zealand. Right. Um, but, I mean, I adore him. I love him to bits. We're especially getting more of a relationship now that he's, you know, he's an adult. and and. I guess you don't get to see them much, but, but there's things like Skype and FaceTime. and Yeah, and Facebook is amazing. Right. My little brother um, is on Facebook with me all the time. And, and we have a little sibling chat on Marco Polo. I don't know if you know about this app. Yes. Oh, it's yes, changed my indeed. life. I love it so really? much. Yeah, oh. I love it. It's my, my favorite form of communication now. Oh, I'll seek you out. Yeah, do, please do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find me. So did you perform as a child with the school plays or a local 
uh, society? Or? I started when I was about 14. I was very, very, very shy, very shy all my childhood. And, um, and my grandmother, I lived with my grandmother from 11 to 16. And she just kind of, there was a local amateur theatre company and she just thought that it would be good to increase my confidence. So she sent me down to see a show. It was a musical. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. And I just found this community of misfits where I knew that I didn't really fit in, a very small town, different, but didn't know why at that point, why I was different. And and, and I just found this, exactly that community family of misfits. And no matter who you were or what you did, they accepted you and celebrated you for your differences. And that's still the same in the, in theatre today. That's mm. the reason why I still love it so much. You know what I mean? You can be, you don't have to homogenise yourself to everyone else. You can be unique. You can You can be authentic even though you're pretending to be someone else. <laughs> <laughs> when did you discover that you might be different to, to those other lads at school? Oh, like, as far back as I can remember. Right. Yeah, as far back as I can remember. I um, Did you cop much flack because of that? Yeah, lots of it, yeah. I think. I mean, I remember my grandmother, because they owned the bus company, my grandmother would drive the school bus, so I'd sit, and I'd sit right behind her in the seat right behind her, because if I went any further back, I would get a lot of bullying, right. just because I was different. They didn't know. They called me posh posh a lot and it wasn't like I don't know I think they probably thought I thought I was better than them but that's nothing it was never anything like that well certainly not for me I just I just spoke a little differently and and was a little uptight and 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 liked to dress color coordinated and even so, then even then yeah right. oh yeah yeah I have like I remember first days of school I would have and then pictures of like I would have complete outfits, and this is probably a lot to do with my mum, she's very colour coordinated into colour, but I have like a light blue shirt, and I have different coloured sets of it, like a blue one, a green one, a maroon one, and it was a light uh, but shirt collar, short sleeved, and then little shorts slightly darker in the same colour, and then pull up socks, light but with that dark colour, but there was no uniform, so it's like, <coughs> you know, I'm just living my best little uptight life. <laughs> Yeah, I was different from from the but, beginning. But it's, it's, it's innate, though. But, but are you watch it. Are there movies? Do you have a relative, or is there someone in town that you're trying to? to no, copy there or was no one in town or? who was like me. Um, well, it's just, so it's just inherent. It's just yeah, yeah. I guess so. I'd always have so much product in my hair, and it would always be so absolutely perfect. You know, and teachers when I first started a new class, they would often refer to me as the little girl, and I'd be like, no, little, you know, actually little boy, and everyone would laugh, and then they'd say, oh, I'm sorry, it just looked like your head hair going down the back because it was just all be so slicked perfect <laughs> and we're going you know yeah I was always a little bit different <laughs> um, thank <it's>, god <laughs> but you can handle yourself very well now you know I mean you're very eloquent and you're learning uh, skills as a kid to sort of be able to take on those those bullies yeah of course because yeah. you have to learn to I mean that's that essentially what we do as performers where we're yeah. going in and getting rejected all the time is you know, not all the time, but it's just like you have to just let that wash off the back. If it doesn't, it, it can't affect you. You just have to. Um, this is a big, big realization I've had recently. Just staying in your own lane. You know, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It was RuPaul say, if they're if they're not paying your bills, then don't you pay them no mind. It's just like just stay in your lane. Uh, like I try to think about this with auditions. I've got an audition callbacks coming up over the next couple of months and um you think you hear all these things about other people who are up for the same roles and just like that doesn't affect me it t- it's taken a long time to get to this that they're, they're what they do is irrelevant mm. how good they are is irrelevant how mm. good it doesn't matter i'm just kind of got my blinkers on i've got my eye on the prize if i don't get it that's also fine because there'll be something else and the thing is it's not a competition there is enough success for everyone in this world it took me a long time to realize that but i tell you what the freedom it has given me letting go of feeling like I was competing. It's, it's not. There's enough room for everyone to have success. There are so many factors out of your control. Yes. I mean, we can't, you just got to let the universe do its thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever your faith is or your beliefs. Tell me about Wayne in Kiwi Fruits 2. Oh, wow. That's going back. <laughs> Kiwi Fruits 2 was a New Zealand play. It was probably my first job out of drama school. So I came over to Sydney, went to NIDA drama school, just did the one-year singer-dancer-actor course, which no longer exists. And then I had my first audition out was for the Court Theatre in New Zealand. I was like, really? I came over here? And of course, and I got it. And it was, I was like, I'm going back home. I came all this way, did this, and then I'm going back home. But it was the best. Um, it was such a great training ground. You know, I learned so much. I did Kiss Me Kate for them and Kiwi Fruits too. Wayne was the illegitimate son of Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley was touring New Zealand and he got um, Wayne's mother pregnant and Wayne, but didn't know who his father was and then found out during the course of the play through two guardian angel drag queens. Um, <laughs> now he's starting to see why I was cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, that he was actually the illegitimate son of Elvis Presley. 
Hilarious. Brilliant. <laughs> the day starts, the day ends, time crawls by. Night steals in, pacing the floor. The moments creep, yet I can't bear to sleep till I hear you sing. And weeks pass, and months pass. Seasons fly Still you don't walk through the door And in a haze I count the silence days Till I hear you sing once more. What about your love affair with makeup? When did that start? Because, oh. I mean, I, you, I think you were working for Mac when we were doing Wizard of Oz. Yeah, and you was. would arrive with a full face of slap. Yeah, yeah, probably, uh, yeah. A day slap, and then you'd take that off to put on your show slap. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Because I would, when I was Mac in the beginning, I'd always wear one eye just done it with makeup. Um, I was then advised shortly after that to, to stop doing that because it would hurt my career, and, and maybe it would, but now I'm jumping right back into it. I loved started doing makeup to advised by management or management yeah yeah <laughs> management at the time yeah. um, and I look to be honest it was probably was good advice but it's it's I, I feel like I've I always had the right but I feel like I've earned the right professionally to be able to now present myself how I want to be and it not affect because people know and I can do certain things on change the industry changes so much 20 years later yeah. oh my god so it's in and huge strides in terms of that world, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and gender and stuff. Now, makeup came around for me. I honestly kind of fell into it. I, I, I've only started telling the truth recently because I, I lied for a very long time. I, I, um, I was working at Grace Brothers for Clinique and then I was getting paid nine sixteen an hour on the Clinique counter and I looked over at that Mac counter and I was like, they're on $18 an hour and why are they on 18 Because they're all makeup artists, trained makeup artists. So I contacted my really close friend in New Zealand, Ali Rutherford, who was working on Lord of the Rings at the time. She was a makeup artist. And I got her to sing, send me her portfolio and send me her CV and I just copied it and went for a job at Mac and got it. And I lied until probably about the last two years, saying that I was a fully trained makeup artist. And I just, because I kind of almost convinced myself that, yes, I trained at Academy of Film and Television Makeup. You know what I mean? Because I was hot to get a job, to survive, to get more money. Yeah, yeah. I was keeping this thing That's up. That's right. You tell a story long enough, you start to believe totally. it. It becomes part of your history. But I'm just like, now I'm like, oh, you know what? I, I am a makeup artist now. I've, I've done some great things. I've achieved some goals. I've One of the big things was to design makeup for New York Fashion Week 2014. I did that for 14 designers in one season. I mean, I was like, I, I, I can call myself a makeup artist now. I don't need to keep that lie going anymore. Um, and part of that, and also, you know, Javert in particular, because he's so masculine, um, those two things combined, the, the New York Fashion Week success and, and then being able to inhabit that traditionally very masculine character and convince people together now I'm like I, it's time that I can wear makeup socially again and I can just be myself and I don't have to worry because people will trust that I can do my job when I need to whatever one of those jobs might be mm. uh, just your your day day wear day day mm-hmm. face mm-hmm, yeah. how do you approach that I mean because you ex- it, we watch it online we see that you experiment a lot with your looks mm-hmm. is it about communicating a character or a mood to the world in your day to day, or yeah, it is a little bit. And yeah. and the show that I've just done at the Eternity Playhouse really, really explored that as well. And you know, I, I put makeup into it because it's, it's. I spend so much time inhabiting other people, and and a lot of the runs are quite long runs. So you like, like four and a, and a bit years as Javert is um is is a long time to be saying only his words and mostly mute when I'm not on that stage mm. in that time so I spend more time thinking and communicating as him than I do as myself and Trunch Trunch was very much spending a lot of time making myself ugly as possible so I decided to just put as much effort as I would into these characters into myself and part of that was looking in a mirror and painting me however I was feeling and that would be someday creating an abstract painting someday redesigning a character I want to do oh I want to play the MC in Cabaret for instance you know there's a song from the album so I'd experiment and do my version of what the MC would look like so it's 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 creative expression but it's 
creative expression of how I'm feeling at the time and how and what I'm wanting to express, you know, or inspired by it, like you know, like a, a crazy dark twisted clown inspired by the Joker for for my song Creep because and because I saw the film and I was just like, oh, this film is amazing. I want to, I want to, I want to put that through my optics and my lens and see how it would come out. It's all creative expression, really. And and you've had a few willing ensemble members who were. Willing to be models? Yeah, every you, single cast member, I think, in Matilda came in um, after. So after the show, I would pay the fireman to stay back late until midnight. He um, drunk Jägermeister, so um, I'd give him a bottle of Jägermeister. And um, and they would come and I, I really... Painting a face to me, and I do call it painting rather than doing makeup, because it is, it's, a, it's an art. It's not a cosmetic thing as such. Um, it's like therapy. It's like it, it melts away my anxiety. If I'm feeling really worked up... Um, but my partner actually, if I'm if I'm a little bit stressed or something, he's like, "Do you want to paint me for ten minutes?" I'm like, "Yes," and I just will, you know, do a quick makeup on him, and I'll feel better and bless him for, for understanding that and getting that. But um, it's um, it, it's it just melts away my anxiety, and the anxiety that's built up a lot as I've gotten older. That's a way that I've found to to do it. So after trunch, I would get rid of trunch by by doing a makeup, and I put a thing out on Instagram saying anyone who wants to have their makeup done, and I had ended up with a calendar where I'd have like, I'd make sure I had one night off a week before a double show day, but every other night was a makeup was booked in, it was pretty intense, hmm. you know, people from Mormon, Alex Given would come over after his show and get painted, good fun, I must yeah. paint you one day, one day. I'd love that, that would be fantastic, mm. um, well that's that's obviously how you get your downtime and, um, yeah, that's fine. and stay creative too, I guess. Yeah, and I have control over that, yeah. I spend so much time saying words that other people have written in a way that other people tell me to say it, when I've got that paintbrush in my hand, I've, I've got complete creative control, I can express my, myself the way I want to and if it stuffs up, I get a real challenge out of fixing that and making it into something that maybe wasn't my initial design in my head, but yeah, yeah that, that I find it satisfying. When did you move to Australia? Two, 1999. And that was to come over to NIDA? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Had you been here before? No. Oh, I came here in January uh, that year to do a one-week course at NIDA called the Triple Threat course, and um, with Abigail Herman and I think James Kivich, maybe it was, I'm not sure, anyway, uh, it was definitely Abigail. And... Um, and at the end of that one week course, which wasn't an audition thing, you just sent you a letter in it saying why you wanted to be in it, and, and they basically gave paid your way in. Um, and then Abigail came up to three of us afterwards and said, would you audition for the course? Only two of us were free to audition, Carla Dijon and myself, and we both got in, and then five weeks later I moved here. If I had any longer to think about it, I probably would have freaked out and not done it. It's just that it just... I just wanted to go here, do a week a week's course so I could go back to New Zealand and have an edge in amateur theatre. That was honestly the thought of it. I wow. didn't even really quite understand that it was possible to do it for, as a living. And then but, and five weeks later I moved here. I pulled out of the lead and crazy for you at Howard Operatic and <laughs> to much, you know, disgust. Actually with the director who's I've, um, I've just been speaking with recently. <laughs> and um, and moved over five weeks later with my microwave. Sliding doors. See, you could have stayed done crazy for you and uh, oh, yeah, probably knows. be out to do Tevia in their production <laughs> of Fiddler on the Roof. Probably, probably. <laughs> so what, what were you learning in that in that NIDA triple threat? I mean, it was very, um, I mean, gosh, it was a while ago now. Um, uh, uh, we, uh, You're learning memory, repertoire, a bit of dance. From memory, we turned up with a couple of contrasting songs. We did like a mock audition. Uh, they would like Abigail, Abigail does with a masterclass. She would give us critiques. She'd do it again. You know, it gives each person maybe half a time. I think there are 12 of us, maybe. Um, and then we did a group number. And it was it was from Barnum. What was it? Um, Join the Circus? Maybe. Either Join the Circus or One Brick at a Time. I can't remember. Maybe both. Yeah. And, um, and we just learnt the song, and then we did Corrie to go with it, and then at the end of the week, I think we maybe performed our best songs from our, not for anyone, well not for anyone that I knew, because I had no one in the country, but maybe people were there now, I don't know. Right. But um, but yeah, kind of, you know, the, the standard one week workshop, similar to the one that I'm, you know, just did in Adelaide. Yeah. <laughs> um. Um, Wizard of Oz, your first show. Yes, with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what was your go-to song in those days? Oh gosh, for um, your auditions. Oh, what? I think my uh, Eight Misbehaving was my. I don't think I could probably sing that now. Um, but Eight Misbehaving would have been my um, my my up-tempo audition song. 
And what do you have now as your go-to song? Whoa. It, I haven't had it to depends say, on the show, I guess, and you've got to go. It does, and I haven't had to prepare my own for a very long time now. They generally send material. Um, my party pieces, oh, I don't even know. I mean, the things I do if I get a, like a, a concert or a gig, I'm always asked to do stars. So that's, you know, that's definitely the song I've sung most, but I, w- I wouldn't walk into an audition with that. No. No. You played a lot in cabaret, <clears throat> the form, not the musical. No, not the musical yet. When you're in Sydney. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, that's that's a different discipline altogether when it's up you there alone with a keyboard and a microphone. And yeah, yeah, I'm. I used to do a lot of it while I was, um, you know, like trying to fill time and trying to keep performing, experimenting, and get confidence and stuff, and, and and build a profile so I could go into musicals. While I was waiting to get into musicals, I did a lot of it. But it's been a quite a while since I've done it. Now I'm a little, you know, I mean that that recent one I just did was um, was a real test because leading up to it, I felt. Um, well, as, as I alluded to before, who is Hayden? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, the, li- the lines get blurred sometimes. Character hangover is real. Now, of course, the one that you keep referring to is the one that's happening in a couple of days. That oh, I'm glad that you really... <laughs> did, you see that? did you see I've got the tense now? <laughs> You'll believe... trans- transported myself into the future. You're believing see? the lie. See? Yeah. That's what all actors had to do, right? Um, Mufti. Tell me about Mufti. Oh, Mufti was yeah. a hoot and also a real stress. <laughs> Just because we had to learn new songs every week. Right. Um, Nigel and I, basically it came about, uh, my manager at the time, Liz Solomon, we were like, we did a one-off show at the Stables, a cabaret show with Nigel, and it went really well and got a lot of attention. And we were like, wow, wouldn't it be great if you could just do this every week? And it's like, well, yeah, but the problem is people wouldn't come along unless it was different, you know. So we're like, how can we do this? Why don't we do a talk show? I believe the original byline was something like, you know, um, Letterman meets Lloyd Webber sort of thing. And I don't know if we ever actually used that because I don't think we ever did a Lloyd Webber song. Um, uh, but it was basically we'd have two guests every every week. It'd be a Friday and a Saturday night on whatever set was going on at the stables at the time at the Griffin Theatre. Um, we would, uh, I, I mean, I remember one of the sets was actually a earth floor, like a, like they made want to look at the desert. So they yeah, great. yeah, it was stunning. But getting a piano onto that was real complicated because it would obviously ruin their set. So we'd have to put planks down and roll the piano up for Nigel, and he'd sit on like a slab of wood on top of yeah. But that kind of added to it because mm. then when people came along, they're like how on earth are they going to do this in this set this week? And that, yeah. it really did make it an ever-evolving thing. Um, I got to meet and, and I mean, I want to say interview, but sometimes interrogate um, some of the most amazing people in the industry because I just was like a sponge. I wanted to learn from them. And, and then they'd perform a couple of numbers. I'd do a duet with one of them. We'd play games. Nigel had his own segment. He'd make cocktails. Would you know, would get a little bit merry. It was great fun. Yeah. I'd kind of be interested to do it again now. I'd never, you know. It went for quite a while too. It went for 11 months in Sydney yeah, and then we took quite... it to New York and then we brought it back to Sydney and it didn't run that long. It just kind of just became very hard to maintain. But I mean, 11 month run initially. I mean, yeah, it was a, a, I'd never expected to go that long. We thought it would be, I think, I think we wanted a month. <laughs> Initially, it was the, the goal. Um, America came calling pretty soon. Um, but how, how do you get to the States? How do you sort of have the ability to move there and work? Did, oh. you win, did we win the green card lottery? Or? We can do the green card lottery, and I did enter it every year. Um, I first went to America in 2003 when I won the New York Hort, the Sydney Cabaret Convention. That got gave me a trip over there uh, to just basically the, the Sydney uh, Cabaret Convention Award is the one that goes there and performs at the convention but I walked by the New York Award which was, was the, the lesser award the like, runner up I guess right. which is just to go over and to just absorb yourself and watch that gives you a so, calling card too I guess you're meeting a few people oh exactly yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I like I took out a personal loan at the bank and told them I was buying a car for my job didn't buy a car, sorry. That's right, I paid it back now. <laughs> I come looking for it. I went over there for a month. I'm not going to believe anything you say again. No, no exactly. My entire <laughs> life is a lie. Um, what the thing is, you got to you got to say what you got to do what you do to get what you got to get. No, and I got, got and you got there. And I got there. I got to, to New York and I stayed there a month and just saw as many shows as I could. Saw as many, and I would literally see a matinee if I could, an evening, and then a late night cabaret, and just and stayed in. Um, in, I, I mean, I stayed on people's couches for some of it, and then I'd have a hotel for other bits. It was just, it was in a most amazing month, and I just realised that this is the melting pot. This is the place, the mecca of what, 
what we do you know of musical theatre this is where it's born I just kind of I fell in love with that energy at the age of 23 that you know the same energy that at, at, at 39 is is I find a little overwhelming at times but but at 23 it was just it all over wanted and from that moment there I said to Les my manager I want to be here I need to be here and he's like well you have to get a green card so he sent me along to an immigration lawyer um Mr Brad Glassman later Mr George Axt and um and uh and they basically said that if in order to do it there are 10 categories you choose five categories out of it and you get a certain amount of points in these categories it's actually very very easy to do in formulaic it took me seven years and four months from that first meeting to get the green card and that's including ticking off these things one by one so all of the cabaret stuff that's why mufti came along that's why all of that stuff sort of we did all that to get publicity because one of the categories was um, profile. So if I had to get 250 articles, so I hired Maria Farmer, one of the best publicists, cost of fortune. Um, my grandmother um, loaned me that money, which was very, very, very grateful. I mean, she was amazing. She helped me in so many ways. Um, as soon as we got 250 articles, that was done. Um, uh, put out the first album, that was another thing. Uh, went on an Asian tour and then went to London to do Maria. So that was like three continents in the world was another thing. Uh, references, uh, I had 18 references when I submitted and I would literally just, going back now, I, I would have written them for them to make it easier for people, but I felt really wanky doing that. And I've done them for other people now and I just say, just write it and I'll sign it. I probably shouldn't say that on here, should I? <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble. Because it, you don't have time and I it took literally over a year to get some of those back because you know people don't have the time to follow all those legal requirements but I had 18 references from amazing people John Robertson um, um, Robert um, uh, Bob Gard you know um, um, all these amazing people I'd worked with at different times I just kind of really called in favours I can't remember what the other category was but it really is if you want to do it it is possible to do it you just have to be really formulaic and calculated about it and sit yeah. down and figure out with a good lawyer the categories you have to do and then and tick them off um, it, it's totally possible did you enjoy living in or do you enjoy living in America? I, I do mean, yeah I mean I left when Trump got elected yeah um, and I left the UK when Bojo got elected. Um, lucky I love Jacinda Ardern. <laughs> She's wonderful. What a great leader. She, she really is. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, and also minister, not only prime minister, but minister of the arts and, and culture in New Zealand. There was something in the desert. There was some place wild and green. And a child in a village I passed through. There are places that I've traveled And so many things I've seen And it all fades away But you I was sliding down a mountain I was burning in the sun I was crying with amazement at the view I was capturing a moment When all is said and done Well, it all fades away but you It all fades I, uh, I did. I do love living in America. I, you, I love. You've seen quite a bit of it with uh, the shows that you've done. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh. Being earnest. Seventeen seventy six. Pittsburgh, San Francisco. Yeah, Atlanta, Boston. Yeah, quite a bit of it. Um, I've had the most amazing times over there. I really did enjoy it. Um, it's it's a it's a different game. It's a different game. There, there is a lot more work. I think that. Uh, a lot more people work over there. I think if every single person here in Australia that, that works in the industry will get a lot more work over there. But I do think that the standard in Australia is generally just as good, if not better. I, so I guess doing all those different venues also, there's different space, size spaces, different theatres. Yeah, definitely. Some You're in the round, some in thrust stage. Constantly being required to uh, recalibrate your performance. Mm. Yeah. And that's that's great learning on the job too, I guess. Oh, it all is, but that's what yeah. that's you know this life is just one big learning on the job, you mm. know. Um, 
constantly learning. Uh, You're constantly making massive mistakes and learning from them. Going down your list of CV, I only have a nose. Titanic, South Pacific, My Fair Lady. I love you. You're perfect. Now change. That one, yeah. Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie, <coughs> Denban Walking. That's quite an array of styles, genres, periods, composers. Um, is there a composer's work that stands out for you that you enjoy doing? Ooh. Um, I mean, I... Oh, no, it, it changes all the time. Yeah. Just like my favourite song does. I mean, I love... question, really. But, I mean, I love I love Aaron's <laughs> and Flaherty, but I've never done any of, any of the shows. I love... Um, I love Bibbon Schomburg because I spent a lot of time singing, you know, mostly lamers of theirs. I, I, I mean, that, that does change because my mood changes all the time. Yeah. And my voice is changing as well. I can't do the, the, the lighter stuff as much anymore, the poppy stuff, because it's got a, my voice has got a darker tone these days, you know, because I'm getting longer on the tooth. <laughs> and they rose with voices ringing And I can hear Barricade. Now, your Lamy's journey started in Australia, didn't it? Yes. Yes. Well, uh, no, originally... Actually, you London. did Marius in London. Yeah, yeah. Marius in London, 2005, 2006. Well, yeah. that must be exciting. How did that come about? It was really exciting at, at the time, and it's still now. I um, I was doing a show at Parramatta Riverside, a cabaret show. There were five people in the audience, and Les, my manager at the time, says, uh, we're going to add this at the moment in tonight. And I was like, um, this is a semi-autobiographical cabaret show. There's no way to add this at the moment. Also, it's just a bit tacky. It's a bit overdone. He's like, you're doing it. And I said, also, there are five people in you know, almost more of us backstage and on stage than there are. There's like, you're doing it, and this is the moment. So, did it, and then afterwards, John Robertson, who I had met before um, a couple of times, didn't know very well, was like, um, great job tonight. How would you like to audition for Marius? They're, you know, I think you should fly to London and audition for that in five weeks. Like, oh, five weeks. <laughs> and, and I did. I didn't get find out straight away. I had to go back um, and be approved by camera in the following March. Um, and did, and then flew there. The many actors who have played Marius and graduated to Javert? As far as I know, just two of us, Hadley Fraser and myself. But I'm sure there are more. Right. I'm sure there are more somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But, there, but in London, Hadley Fraser and myself, that I know of. Uh, had, I'm a massive fan of Hadley's work. He was Marius, a couple of Marius's before me, and then Javert, a couple of Javert's before me. I should look at what he's doing now. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's your future. Yes. Um, and then Javert in Australia. So, so mm. tell us about that. How did that come about? The audition process and Ooh, well, I mean, they didn't because you'd have to come back from America, didn't you? Yeah, I was in America. I was in San Francisco doing Being Earnest, which was an out-of-town tryout of the a new musical of the importance of being earnest, but set in the '60s with a fabulous '60s kind of rock and score with um, by um, um, by a couple of amazing composers in uh, in America, Jay Gruska and um, and then I was coming back to New Zealand for two weeks. And I was there, um, and Paul Gordon, sorry, was the other composer, he wrote Chaney on Broadway. Then I came back to New Zealand, and John Robertson again, he, he features quite heavily in my, in my life, um, saw on Facebook that I was back at home. I thought about auditioning for Javert, Les had mentioned it to them, but the, the word had come back from London that they found me to be a quote-unquote uninspiring Marius, which is why they didn't renew me. Um, so they didn't really think that it was worth bringing me in for Javert. Um, and that's fine. I mean, it hurts, but that, I mean, we deal with that all the time as performers. Mm. What ifs, you know, like, like on the bus when I was a kid, I'll just sit behind Nana and not go down the back of the bus and stay in my lane. And, um, but they couldn't seem to find someone that they really liked. And John pushed them again, not, not Les, but John said, look, I really just think you should, should see him at least. I put down a video. I sent, I put, I put down the video and sent it in and Jeff Castles really liked it. So they were like, can you come over this? This was a Tuesday. Can you come over this weekend? I flew in on the Friday, I think. Went straight into the audition room and auditioned for the directors. So normally there would be all these other rounds that people had been through to get to this final weekend, but I hadn't been in the country. Um, and, well, they wouldn't see me. <laughs> and then um, I performed it for them and they were like, oh yeah, come back in tomorrow. Went back in the next day, did it for Cameron, and he offered it to me in the room. Wow. Yeah, nuts. Not expecting it at all. Nuts, especially not hearing, like literally, you know, very re just before that that they found me an uninspiring Marius. I felt it was a little bit of a waste of time, but I was just like, you know what, you know, and I'm um, thank God I did. Thank God, thank God, I didn't let my ego get in the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, because I mean, so, it's been the most amazing experience, and and 
afforded me so many amazing opportunities. Out in the darkness, a fugitive running, fallen from God, fallen from grace. God, be my witness, I never shall yield till we come face to face. Till we come face to face He knows his way in the dark Mine is the way of the Lord Those who follow the path of the righteous Shall have their reward And if they fall as Lucifer fell The flame, the sword Your multitudes, scarce to be counted, filling the darkness with order and light. You are the sentinels, silent and sure, keeping watch in the night, keeping watch in the night. You know your place in the sky You hold your course and your aim And each in your season returns and returns And is always the same And if you fall as Lucifer fell You fall in flames And so it must be For so it is a return Those who falter and those who fall must pay the price. Lord, let me find him that I may see him. I understand you saw the Broadway show just before you started Preparations for Australia. I did, yeah. So I was over there. There's a couple of us from the show. Trevor Ashley was there and, and Zoe Frangos. And we decided to go to the show together. Um, and I believe in affirmations. Yeah. I always have. Like, I've always got them on my phone and, and, and things that I'm putting out into the universe. So I wrote a little note for myself. Um, um, I think both the boys, Trevor definitely remembers. I don't know if Zoe does. And I wrote down on a piece of paper, Dear Hayden... Congratulations on your Broadway debut playing Javert and Les Mis at the Imperial Theatre dated March 2016. Because at that point in time, I had added up that the Australian tour was going to finish, which had already got their all, was going to finish about about them. And I hit it in the lining of the seat. The seat had, had torn. So I didn't, I didn't unpick the seat. It was <laughs> hit it in the lining of the seat, watched the show, left it there. And then um, I managed to get the affirmation came true like two months beforehand. I was there by, I think it was, January 19th, I opened on Broadway, just before the date I'd put down. Was the note still in the chair? I went to find it, and I could not find where where I was sitting. And then I asked Trevor, and he didn't know, and he said, well, there'll be Cameron seats, because Cameron had got us the tickets. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know, go, oh, hi. You know, you've just given me this opportunity. Can I just bug you to find out which seats you'd sat me in for a few years ago? I can't remember where I was, but you might, as if. Um, I tried to. I walked around where I thought it was and checked, and either the seat had been repaired because none of them seemed to have that same pulling up from the from the the lining. So no, I never found it. Yeah. Does Javert have a first name? Not in the book, no. No, oh, right. It's no, just Inspector, Inspector Javert. Javert. Yeah, right. I've read it four times that book. Yeah. Right. Whew. Mm. No, not a fifth. <laughs> <laughs> How do you um, manage a performance week? I imagine it's a, a monastic lifestyle. You've really got to. I have a real. I'm a real creature of routine in that regard. Mm. I um I fast till four every day. I have my first meal at four. I then eat all my food between four and midnight. 
Um, I stop eating at midnight and I sleep at three. I sleep my th- eight hours is from three to eleven. Like it's really is routine. Really? Yeah. yeah, I um, I'm quite like I always will go out and have a drink. Uh, not always, but like I'm very happy to socialise people after the show and stuff like that. I think that's part of it and also part of balance, balancing my life. But I'll be home by a certain time and and not talking by a certain time. Uh, on the day off, I generally will socialise with the cast for the last day of the week until about midnight on a Sunday night, and then I'll have a complete vocal rest. So I will not phonate at all from midnight on a Sunday till midday on a Tuesday. So it's thirty six hours, and those thirty six hours you can generally reset your voice from any damage, any you know swelling or damaging anything. So you start the week fresh again. That's kind of the the that discipline is the thing that's made me. Um, both physically be able to deal with it and mentally as well because yeah. I, I know exactly where, where it all sits you know what I mean I'm, I'm comfortable in that I'm really am a control freak aren't I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm impressed I love it it's fantastic but I, I mean a, there, are, there are days that it doesn't, doesn't happen but you know but that's the that's a general routine that's great we've got a degree of well not a degree great responsibility leading a company and Delivering a performance, making sure... I think you take it seriously. That's that's my priority, you know what I mean? That's, that's, that's... And when you've reached the Mecca, you know, you're playing Broadway, <laughs> the West End, and you've got to deliver. Well, the pressure is there. Also, you get to a certain point and you get paid per show, and you don't do a show, you don't get paid. Yeah. And, you know, some contracts I've had before, I won't say what. Um, it's a very standard for some roles that are very difficult where you have a certain percentage of your pay for the seven shows, and then you in the, your eighth show of the week, you will earn your the most of your money wow. so the idea is that if you just if you do take one off you take a big chunk of your change off wow. um so pretty much you seven shows will be the ceiling that the, they have a ceiling where you if you earn over the ceiling you get paid per show so this that your your the weekly equity ceiling would be in seven shows and all the extra money you've negotiated is that eighth show of the week so if you take one show off in a week it's a big dent and that's there to make you do your job so you take it seriously because it's your job I was amazed at how tiny your dressing room was. Oh, in um, in uh, on, Broadway. on Broadway, yeah, yeah, yeah it is tiny. Like a cell. Yeah, 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 it yeah. really is tiny. I mean, it had lovely Ralph Lauren paint on it that Earl Carpenter had put in there, so I was very, very grateful for that. But it is very, very, very small. I mean, I had my own in London. I didn't have my own. I shared with Nadia, which I loved. I adored almost Nadia's. Uh, in um, as Trunchbull, I shared with Mr. Wormwood. Well, he was actually in the toilet, which he called the ensuite, and he was a little bit funny about it. I mean, I was like, dude, like. I'm really, I'm a very social person, as you know. Yeah. I'm like, we can share both rooms. For a start, the shower is in your room. You know what I mean? Like, go and use that for your mirror. But he would always be lying down on the couch in my area. Um, um, yeah. It, it, I mean, that the only time I really had my own other than Australia was in that tiny little cell on Broadway. Did you know before I moved in there, they had a different shuffle around of the dressing of the dressing rooms? That little tiny cell of a room I was in used to be where the five stage management would be. Could you imagine? Wow. I can't. I can't. No, imagine. no, I can't. I mean, I, you get my dress and my wiggy and myself in that room, and yeah. I mean, that's you know, we're all like Tetris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Trunchbull, another villain yes. antagonist. Yes. That she recently. Well, she played. is a villain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great and not very pretty. No, so ugly. No. Looking in the mirror, making myself as as ugly as I possibly can for like. Yeah, I. I've, that's the hardest role I've had to play in every so far in every way like you say physically emotionally mentally yeah all yeah. of it psychologically I've never questioned my mental health until that job um, why for, because you're trapped within that ugly exterior or yeah also like that that you're that, so that horrible that suit is a is literally the feeling of anxiety that suit is that persona like in a physical form like that it, it holds everything in tight you can't breathe it's 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 all encompassing. Once you've got it on, you can't get out of it for the whole show. So it's um, you're in a theatre that's not air conditioned in London. You um, uh, <clears throat> it, it, it's very challenging. Also, she, I mean, she's a woman who, who lives by the rules, and that way she's very similar to Javier. But she does bad things for bad reasons, mm. and the RSC in that production particularly are very very strict about how it's played. There's no room for interpretation, um, as much as. A lot of other productions, and I felt like I could really bring my thoughts to Javert. It was not that that way in that production, and that's totally fine. I get that. I'm there to do a job, and it's and you're pl- providing a function within a piece. 
But um, but all I try to do generally is try to understand why these characters do these things. And there was no room within that particular situation to justify why she did bad things. And after 15 months of thinking like that, it got me down. It got me down doing bad things, hurting people for pleasure and not for, and not being able to justify it, not being able to put in a little thing like um, that she was bullied as a kid and put that, like there's one moment in Smell of Rebellion where um, where the kid goes, where she goes off in her, in her you know, dream sequence about Zeke and all that, which was changed from a dwarf halfway through my run because someone complained on the tour. So it got changed to a, to a clown or a parrot, a parrot named Zeke was what Tim sent through and um, and I used to try to have this moment of I've been caught out by this like I was so caught up in my own world that I didn't realise and there's no room for that in their interpretation because for me I was like that's the one moment that you can show that she's vulnerable that she's actually been caught in her own moment no that's that's a trap for the kid and there's a big difference in that one little microsecond of emotion mm -hmm. as to what that character is whether that character sets a trap to trap kids or whether that character actually does get carried away in her own fantasy because she just believes in her own world imagine a world with no children oh close your eyes and just dream imagine come on try it the peace and the quiet, a burbling stream. Now imagine a woods with a cottage, and inside that cottage we find a dwarf called Zeke, the carnival freak, who can fold paper hats with his mind, and he says, don't let them steal your horses. Don't let them take them away If you'll find your way through They'll be waiting for you Singing Nay Nay Oh nay 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 She's mad That got me down It got me down like I like taking direction and fitting into it but it got me down not being able to justify that she's actually a complex human being that I just had to play what to me felt like a two-dimensional I'm being very open here and I'm probably never going to work for the RSC again but I don't think I actually want to so that's fine um, Are you um, able to take that costume off at the end of a performance and, and leave it in the dressing room leave it at the theatre or do you find that sometimes you carry hangovers Yeah, I character you? hangover I do yeah. a lot I am um, I went to a couple of therapy sessions and they suggested that I create something sensory for a character. So I have a fragrance associated for every character. So I put the makeup on usually and just before I walk on stage I'll spray the fragrance. For Javert it's Egoist by Chanel because my first ever boyfriend did it and it just makes me a little bit angry. <laughs> <laughs> Trunch was, um, was Tuscan Leather by Tom Ford. Why did I to pick such an expensive fragrance for a non-profit theatre company? <laughs> it's beyond me for non-profit wages. Um, but um, and that would be it smelt like leather sort of get me into that kind of that gym leather her costume looked like leather um, but at the end of a show I can have a shower I can wash the makeup off which is part of the character for me wash the scent off and then more importantly spray on Hayden's scent and then I, I, it's, it's a real sigh of relief for me and I know that may sound a little bit crazy but it, it works for me and I'm going to continue doing it because it helps me rebellion. hold it together The Scent of Rebellion there you go I like this that's, that's, the, that's the, the name of my next album <laughs> as we now play Scent of Rebellion <laughs> what's your um, preparation for um, not particular just generally in the theatre when you what time do you arrive what do you like to do before you uh, start applying your makeup mm, uh, do I mean, you have a cup of tea at interval I do like a cup of tea at interval but I don't really like hot beverages in general yeah. so a cup of tea if I'm feeling like I've got a lot of phlegm and I need to melt it away I will have a cup of tea um, after the suicide I have a shot Really? Yeah, except for in New Zealand. New Zealand had an alcohol ban backstage. So we're talking about so, uh, the suicide in Les Mis, yeah. Suicide, yes, sorry, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Spoiler for those who haven't seen Les Mis, but, um, but yes, no, not the suicide <laughs> any other way in, uh, in Les Mis. I would, because I would, Javier would kill himself 20 minutes before the end. He'd jump off the bridge. And um, so I had 20 minutes before the curtain call. And it's a lot. Like, I s just finished doing Javier again. And it's still, after that number, I'm like, 
And the poor bugger doesn't have uh, get to come back as a ghost like everyone else. Well, no, and we've discussed that in rehearsal a lot. No. And that's because he... He goes to hell or... He goes to hell because he kills himself. And although some people would say New Testament, Old Testament, that doesn't mean you go to hell. He is the Old Testament. So if, for his beliefs, he has sent himself to hell. And at that moment before he jumps off, he's completely 100% aware that that is the price he's paying, that he's sending himself to hell. And that's no. what makes the stakes so high for him. Because that's, I mean, you know, hell is... It's not somewhere he was ever... Such a fascinating character, though, because he's, so he's really is a good man. He really is a wonderful... Mm. I mean, I, look, I know I've spent a lot of time, and I'm a little biased, a lot of time with him, but um, playing him. But but to me, and I think this is the only way you can play um, a villain for so long, is an antagonist for so long, is if you really do believe that they are doing things for the right reasons. And I, in my story, in my version, when I'm playing that role, he is the hero because he doesn't see all of that stuff that Valjean does. He doesn't see that Valjean, you know, meets the bishop, redeems himself, takes on Cosette, saves Fontaine. He doesn't, he doesn't really get any of that. He's not privy to what the audience sees. So to him, it's just a guy who, he's just doing his job. And then this guy has disrespected him in front of, in public. And that's a real trigger mm. in the courtroom. I mean, that's, played him after the cart and then done it could have come out to come out could have um confessed to him privately after the cart crash but chooses to do it in front of everyone in the courtroom i mean what a prick can i say that on here yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah. course, of course. <laughs> so much like so much like um do you read reviews oh look i yeah i do read them but mm. i don't believe them yeah. you don't i firmly believe you don't believe the good and you don't believe the bad right you, you can't because you're not doing it for that reason. You have to do what you're told to do, what your directors tell you to do. And I, I read them because, mostly because I feel, and especially in this day and age, you have to share them to sell the shows. And part of my job is is selling a theatre. Part of my job is sharing it to people that, that want to come and see the show. So I, I feel I have to share those reviews and things and uh, in order to sell the show because that is part of my job but I read them to make sure that there's nothing because I don't want to share a review if it's really nasty to someone because that's just not gracious no. um, so I, I generally won't share a review if it says something bad about someone um, but I feel like I feel because I'm sharing something I have to read it first and because I have to share it I'll read it but I don't believe it the good or the no. bad and reviewers I mean they have a responsibility to be, to be constructive not yes. damning I think yeah, yeah and, exactly and some of them yeah. really do um, abuse that 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 uh, that role. Have you created a role in a new musical? I have um, uh, Jack in Being Earnest in San Francisco. All right, right. Yep. Yeah, uh, I did the workshop of Snugglepot and Cuddle Pie playing. Oh, I can't remember if it's Snugglepot or Cuddle Pie now, but um, but only for the workshop, and then I went to Titanic. Right. Um, You'd obviously like to do that, I imagine. That's my dream. Yeah? That is my dream. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for quite a while now, that's been my dream. That's why I moved to America, to be the first person to say those words, to be the first person to sing that song where the composer writes that top note because that's where your voice is most exciting. You yeah, know, yeah. like to be put in the right key for, for you. That, I mean, that's a dream. Um, you know, one day, hopefully. Would you like to do plays? Yes, I've done a couple of plays. Yeah, yeah. I did Take Me Out uh, in Singapore. Um, lovely play. Take Me Out in Singapore. <laughs> Take Me Out, yes. the play. In Singapore, the city slash country, the, the slash base, island. The baseball play. The baseball play. Yeah, yeah, do you know it? Yeah, love it. It's a wonderful play. Mm. I played Mason Marzak, so the the, the, the... the manager thing? Yeah, the it? accountant, yeah. yeah. Um, and, I mean, that was I had the most amazing time on that. It was honestly a, a dream of an experience. You know the best thing about doing a play is I don't wake up in the middle of the night in siren to check that my voice is still there. Because I do that still. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Just to check. And then I can go back to sleep because it's, it's there. It's going to be okay tomorrow. Well, it's a whole component you don't have to worry about, I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's correct. But, I mean, really, if I can phonate, I can walk, yep. I can do a play. So I do, I do really enjoy that. But there's something I do feel I wouldn't be able to sustain myself in a play for as long as you can in a musical because it never really gets to that height I mean the whole point about musical theatre is that it, it arrives the stakes are so high that you all of a sudden go out of speaking no longer conveys the emotion you need to sing so it doesn't really ever get to that point in a play so I think I'd love it every now and again but I think I, I love the music too much yeah what makes you happy huh um doing what working I'm happy yep. if I'm working yeah yeah whether that be uh, you know, expressing myself creatively, or whether it be in a long-running show or whatever. But I'm generally happy if I'm working. I'm pretty miserable 
if I'm not. I have a, a window when I'm on vacation where, and I love vacation, don't get me wrong, like I could take, I took six months off a couple of years ago to nurse my grandmother in New Zealand, and although it was incredibly challenging for all sorts of reasons, um, I really learnt what it's like to, to, to not be working and not have that outlet. Um, I'm really, I'm happy if I'm working. I go about three or four days of doing nothing by a pool or on a beach. And then I'm really happy to stay there by the pool, but I'm going to need to write a cabaret show or I'm going to need to start thinking up a plan about something. And it's, a lot of it's just going to happen inside my head. I can still do it by the pool for a couple of weeks, but, but the needing to do nothing is last about four days, max. Thanks for recording this conversation. Um, Thank you for I having really me. I really appreciate it. Was I, it okay? Yeah, I had a ball. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I'm, you know, dealing with my incoherent ramblings. Thank you. That's wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> Continued success, my friend, and um, soar high. And uh, hopefully we'll catch up again sometime. Yes, I'd love that. Right. Thank you, Peter. Oh, folks, the album is phenomenal. And as you can tell from the few grabs we shared during this conversation, uh, it's one that you must have in your collection. Do grab a copy. It's easy to download from iTunes. It's a musical theatre recording that will stand the test of time. Lush orchestration and Hayden's immense charm, vocal power and the detail in the work. Face to face, maybe put it on your Christmas list. The next episode is the final one for this series and for the year. I'm delighted to let you know that it will be Kate Fitzpatrick. She's one of our country's great actors and her conversation is an absolute joy. I can't wait to share it with you. That's next time on Stages, the final for the year, episode 99. Can you believe that? Actor Kate Fitzpatrick. There's always something new for us to learn, so if you enjoy this conversation, you're bound to enjoy many more from the Stages archive. You'll find conversations with Reg Livermore and Chloe Dallimore, just to name a few, and all with fascinating tales across all stages. Find the podcast on Spotify, Wooshka, or in iTunes. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can receive each new episode as it drops. Take the time to rate and review the podcast and share it with all of your friends. I'm Peter Ayers and you've been listening to Stages. I'll catch you next time.